Paul. Good to see all the rest of you. Another wintry day. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles. Excuse me. That's usually what I say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this morning. Hopefully you'll be here just through the morning. Thanks for messing me up, Bill. Let's, let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark. We continue on. Our journey is about completed in this book. Uh, last week we left you with Jesus Christ literally saying, It is finished. And He committed His Spirit into the Father's, into the Father's hands. Uh, amazing. We have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, dead. I don't know where you think America is today, but it's a mess. But on that moment where Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross, the Son of God, the very Son of God, is dead. If you're a Christian on that day, what do you think? Exactly. You talk about discouraged. Talk about wonder what's next. Where does this go? Let's see, you were a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe we should run now, because they took Jesus on a cross. What keeps us from being there? Well, let's pick up the reading now. We'll start in verse 42 uh, of Mark chapter 15. This is the part that usually we skip over. It's the burial of Jesus Christ. It's, we can't wait to get to the resurrection, but there's a lot here. Uh, we'll be talking about it in Mark chapter 15, beginning now at verse 42. And now, when the even was come... Because it was a preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he was already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it was of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a rock unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. And may God add a special blessing reading of his word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father, we are here. We are in your hands. We're especially thankful, Father, that Jesus Christ did, in fact, pay the price. He took my sin. He took the world's sin. It was on him. For three hours it was dark. Fathers, you poured out the cup of wrath of all hell unleashed. Amazing. The love that was poured out from Jesus Christ. Father, in these moments now we want to get closer to you. We want for you to work in our hearts. Take us where you want us. Use the word and especially, exclusively, the Holy Spirit to teach and guide us. We thank you for each one that's here today, Father, that you would bless them and their families. You know their needs before they do. There's nothing that you aren't aware of. We thank you for your providence. We'll be talking about that as today, Father, as well. And now these moments being yours, we're thankful to be here with you in your presence. We humbly bow, ask for the Spirit's leading in Christ's name. Amen. If you would think about this, this is uh, God burying His Son. These verses that we've read, uh, there's obviously human elements involved. There are two ways that God literally is in control. The word sovereignty is a word that means that God is completely, 100%, without question, always in control, even when it seems like He's not. Right now, if you're going to take a poll amongst the disciples and said, is God in control? They probably would have said, 
I don't think so. I mean, we've got our, our Messiah, our leader, our guy is on the cross and he's just died. Now, Jesus had spoken of this numbers of times, but it was like they were in a fog. Have you ever sometimes gotten the truth and it was like in a fog? Yeah, it happens a lot, doesn't it? Jesus said on countless occasions, told them what would happen as they're especially going to the Passover, this time of which they're gathered in Jerusalem. This is the high feast. This is the high moment of the Jewish year, ultimately. And it's interesting, uh, the Passover was on Nisan 14. That was the Jewish calendar, and that was the day no matter what. Well, on this particular year, it was, happened to be on this Friday, the day before the Sabbath. This would be a high Sabbath. This would be a point of high, high celebration. And it's amazing to watch God's providence. That's a word we're going to find using today quite a bit. There are two ways that God's sovereignty is in control. One is by miracles. And the Bible has miracles within it. Miracles can happen. It's to break away from the natural, to have a phenomena that breaks outside of anything that's explainable. God can do that. Jesus did that on numerous occasions. Uh, the one that would have blown these fishermen's minds, these disciples of which were following after him, they're on a lake. And they think they're going to die. These are commercial fishermen, not Larry Melhoff that doesn't like water deeper than his knees. This is the guys that can fish at a deep level. And they thought they were going to die because of the fierce tempest storm that was upon them. And Jesus walks on the water and calms the wind and the sea. It's like glass and the wind is stopped. And who is this? That's a miracle. There are many miracles. The parting of the Red Sea. That's a miracle. But to me, even a larger sense in the sense of miraculous unfoldings is something that God uses every day. Uh, this, the burial of Jesus Christ, is at a heightened level. Uh, those of you that have been around me a while, the one book that does not mention God one single time in the Bible is the book of Esther. Not one time is God's name mentioned, and yet, He's everywhere. He's everywhere. If you recounted, that, that's your homework for this coming week, read the book of Esther. You can take a couple of days or whatever, but read it. And it's amazing, even though God's not mentioned, He's so involved. That's providence. Uh, providence in the burying of God's Son, Jesus Christ, is amazing. That's using men's and women's, their choices, their ideas, their will, if you will. And He puts it all together. He orchestrates it. It's like this, this conductor of an orchestra. And the sounds are beautiful, and you take just one piece out of that, and you'd say, how does that fit? When God's orchestrating lives, that's what happens. And it's under providence. Providence is the unfolding of God's will regardless of men's wills or desires. It's amazing. We'll find groups of people today. We're going to look, first of all, at the Roman soldiers. Uh, do you know how interested they are in Jesus Christ? Zero. They have no interest whatsoever. It would be like nada. They're there to do a job. The centurion, has a, he's, his life has been changed. This is a guy that handles 100 men. His job is to go out and kill people, crucify them. Great career choice, right? I don't know how it pays, but it sounds like, whoa, that's a tough one. What are you going to do today, honey? I'm going to go out and do some more crucifixions. Wow. And that man, that man that's so hard and so callous, it's so deep in the sense of a warped world, he, after watching Jesus Christ on that cross for six hours, three hours of complete darkness from noon to three, think of that. When's the last time you had a noon meal and it was dark for three hours consecutive? That's a miracle. 
That's something that happened miraculously. It wasn't the lining of stars. It was God said, no, this is where my cup of wrath is going to be poured out on my son because that's what hell will be like. John the Baptist years before said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Think of the timing of that. Guess what happened at 3 o'clock when Jesus gave up his spirit, when he said it's finished. This has been finished. The wrath of God has been completely accumulated and finished was when down the street at the temple they were killing the Passover lambs for the celebration of the Passover. And they, being the Jewish leaders, had just killed the son of God. Let that soak for a second. This nation had killed the Son of God. And you know what was 100% behind it? God. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Because if you, I was just reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It said that He chose us in Him before the beginning of the world. If you're in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, that was planned before God had made anything. He had chosen this day, this, this day, this high day in history that he had foretold that literally the cross of Christ was the point of, there was no return ultimately. Sin was broken, its penalty was over, the power had been broken, and literally we are his because of that that took place. And that was before God made anything. That, my friends, is love. That's love. That's Jesus. But now he's dead. What are we going to do? And, you know, you want to rush forward, don't you? Because the only reason I'm here today, the only reason you're here if you've trusted Christ is because he rose from the dead. If Jesus would still be in the tomb, buddy, I would be gone. N not, <laughs> that sounded terrible. But no, buddy. Buddy, your buddy. And I call a lot of people buddy, but I'm going to say something. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. There'd be no point. He would be like everyone else that had died. I need power beyond the grave. I got to get out of the grave. Those obituaries that are in every single day's paper, Jesus is beyond that. It's a fantastic thing. But here's this, here's this parenthesis, this burial of Jesus Christ, burying God's Son. It's hard to get excited about that, isn't it? And yet, it's absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt one of the most important things of the province of God unfolding. Well, first of all, we had these soldiers. Well, actually, before that, let's go back to John for a moment. And we're going to be in all four Gospels today. Uh, all of them speak of the burial of Jesus Christ. It's that important. Let's go to John chapter 19. And the religious leaders, they're concerned about something. This being the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. Uh, they want to make sure that these bodies, these three guys that have been crucified. Uh, Laramie, I might, if you could just throw on the wall that, uh, the, the template of the Jerusalem, so we can kind of keep some of that in mind. Let's go to verse 31 of John chapter 19. It says the Jews, speaking of the religious leaders, the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, that's the day before the Sabbath. This is the preparing for the Sabbath coming. That the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was a high day. It even speaks of it. This is the Passover. It doesn't get any better than this, higher than this. And they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So let's stop for a moment. Think of this. For, for, and this is amazing. Passion Week. It's crazy, isn't it? You talk about a fickle group. This is the most. On Monday... 
literally the town with tens of thousands of people and in Jerusalem, they had crowned Jesus, if you will, king. He's going through the streets of Jerusalem and he's king on Monday. And on Friday, he's crucified. <laughs> now that's an opinion that's switched completely. The Jewish leaders were obviously in, 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 in the largest sense of turning that tide. But here we have the day before. Do we have one? Okay. I, this one? There's two of them there. Okay. If I can figure out how to use it, huh? Oh, there we go. Nice. Okay. So um, there are a couple of places that are thought to be where the crucifixion took place. This is Jerusalem and its whole. The temple is right here off to this side. Um, if you'll notice the uh, Antonia Fortress, uh, that was a place that the quarters of the guard, if you will, the Roman uh, troops would have been at. And it's, it's possible that that's where they would have met um, Pilate, this, this meeting we have right here. It's probably more so that it would be down the Praetorium, if you see this down here in Herod's palace. That was where uh, Pilate would have stayed in the events that he was in Jerusalem. That wasn't his home, but with the Passover, there's a lot of stuff going on. He's in charge of militarily keeping things in control. That's probably more than likely where the chief priests would have met him at the Praetorium. Now, one thing that we haven't talked too much about is if you're a, in the Sanhedrin, which would be the supreme court, if you will, of the religious leaders, there's about, there were 71 of those. Those were the ones that made the decisions religiously within the country. That group was made up of Sadducees, Pharisees, the chief priests, and scribes. If they entered this Gentile area, they would be defiled for the upcoming celebration which is a really big deal if you're a legalist. Okay, now, when they brought him out of trial and they went to Pilate, they wouldn't go in. They made Pilate come out. But in this case, and even, you're, you won't believe this, but on the Sabbath, they're actually going to go back in. We'll see this, and I'll leave it. That's for secret. It was coming next week probably even. But at any rate, they go into the praetorium to meet with Pilate. What have they just done? They defiled themselves on the Passover. But you know what? As long as nobody knows about it, it's okay. Now, is that not hypocrisy? We've just killed the Son of God, but we are ceremonially wanting to be make sure that we're on the right side. Unbelievable. But they want to make sure that this, this would be uh, Golgotha, the place of the skull, this crucifixion. It's thought it could either be there or Gordon's Calvary, and you see Garden Tomb. If you go to Israel today and you go to Jerusalem, you more than likely will be taken to that place and you will sh be shown a tomb of where Jesus' body was laid. Between the place of Calvary and this tomb, the sepulcher that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, we just read about him, they're actually very close together. Very close together. And you think of the providence of God. Let me lay out a couple of problems that we have going in. Now, the, the chief priests are here at the Praetorium because they want to get these bodies off of these cross is because it's not cool to have them hang it. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. I'm not going to go there. We're going to keep moving. But they, it, was, it was thought not to have suspended bodies because it would defile the land. And they wanted to get them off. We've got, we got a Passover. We've got a Sabbath coming. Uh, we've got to be able to get those off. Now, here's the, here's the part that's really interesting, is there's a couple of prophecies that we find that are unfolding that somewhere God's got to make sure happens. Otherwise, His word is completely fallacy. Make sure you understand that. The prophecies that are unfolded in God's Word, if any one of them does not come to pass, then the whole Word of God is a fallacy. Now, we've got some work cut out for us. Typically, if someone was crucified, hung on a cross, it could last for two, three, up to nine days, if you can even imagine. No, I can't either. It's the most cruel, the most horrible death that we've ever come across in humankind. 
How long has Jesus been on the cross? Since 9 o'clock this morning, Friday. We're on Friday. 9 o'clock till noon, and then from noon to 3, it was dark. The whole land was dark. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus, with a loud voice, and I say, and it's amazing the Scripture speaks of that, because crucifixion, you die of asphyxiation. You finally just cannot breathe, and you die of lack of, of air. Jesus, with a loud voice, which that doesn't sound like he died of asphyxiation, he said, it is finished. It's finished. This is completely finished. And he said, into thy hands, into the Father's hands, I commit my spirit. And he died himself. He, didn't, he wasn't martyred. He gave up his life. That's, if you do the math, that's six hours. The Jewish leaders are very concerned because they got to get those bodies off of the crosses because tomorrow's coming. Now, in the Jewish calendar day, or the day, what did, when does their day begin? It's six o'clock in the evening. So think of this, Friday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we've only got three hours until the Sabbath begins, okay? We have three hours to get a lot of stuff done. Now, have you, is your life complicated? Where How is God going to get that done? I, this looks like a complete disaster. There's so much month left and there's no money left. This looks like we're not going to get there. This isn't going to work out. You ever had days like that? Months like that? Years like that? Yeah, right? Well, God's got some stuff he's got to get done. He's got to get it done pretty quickly. Jesus has passed away, or died. He literally just died himself. He willed himself to die at 3 o'clock approximately in the afternoon. By 6 o'clock, we've got the Sabbath. There's a couple of prophecies. We're going to go there right now. There's two of them in particular that God has to make work for his word to be true. The first one we find, which could be very interesting, because what death has Jesus just died? What death has he just died? A death of a criminal, correct? A death of a criminal, the death of a criminal. What happens to criminals that die on a cross? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a dump, the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. And literally, you would just be thrown in the dump heap, in the, in the rubbish. What are the chances of Jesus not going there right now? Pretty low. Where's the disciples? They've run like scared jack, jackrabbits. They're gone. The women, remember, we talked about his mother. How would you, oh, unbelievable, his mother Mary was at the foot of the cross. Disciples are nowhere to be seen. Who's going to take care of this body? Why wouldn't it end up in Gehenna? Because God, God, thank you. Are we starting to say the word providence potentially? How is he going to do it though? He's got less than three hours to get Jesus off the cross because it's got to go in the ground. Why? Because he said something else. Let's go to a couple passages. These are two particular things that God's going to have to work at, and that God isn't struggling. But anyway, let's go to Isaiah, first of all, chapter 53. Imagine that. That's one we've used a lot. And let's look at the first. Isaiah 53, verse 9. And you can go through the whole chapter of Isaiah, and it talks about his affliction, his being wounded, his bruising, all of that chastisement took place. But verse 9 is where we want to dive in. It said this, and he, verse 9, chapter 53 of Isaiah, and he made his grave with the wicked... And with the rich in his death. That sounds weird. How could that possibly be? It's two completely end results. One is, if things continue as it looks, he's literally, his body's going to be taken off of the cross and thrown into the city dump. That's more, that looks pretty likely, right? But it says that his place will be with the rich. Now, what would that mean? That literally, the thing that we unfolded with Joseph of Arimathea, we'll be getting at him in a moment. Uh, a criminal doesn't get a sepulcher, doesn't get a place of burial, doesn't have a tomb, if you will. 
So how's this gonna be pulled off? Because who's, who's run to the occasion at three o'clock? No one. The only thing that's being concerned is the chief priests have went to Pilate and said, we've gotta finish these off now in a crucifixion if you study the effects of that whole unreal ordeal of punishment is as the two feet are, are run over the top of each other and one nail through them, there's left a little bit of a flex, if you will, so that the body could, or the person could lift up to fill their lungs with air. And that would go on for forever. Well, not forever, but you understand it would seem like forever. Or they could pull their arms, which is much more difficult, to raise up. So that's why literally what happened is this soldiers of the Roman soldiers went to shorten the life to get this over with was to break their legs. Because when they couldn't lift up, they couldn't breathe. When you can't, obviously, it goes very quickly. Now, the interesting part is, as they went there, as we read in John, um, the two thieves, one on each side of Jesus, both of their legs were broken. And that was done as forcefully as, I, I, I'll just tell you, and you, they used an iron mallet. Those two thieves were still alive. Jesus was not. And there was other scriptures, I'm not, I, it's in there that not one of Jesus' bones were broken. And there's a reason for that, because the acceptable Passover lamb could not have any bones broken. That's in the scripture. Okay? They came to Jesus and they saw he was dead. Now, this isn't some novice. This is literally the Roman soldiers who their job is, is to bear out sentences of crucifixion. But one soldier just, I guess, just to be sure, took a spear and pierced him. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says, And they looked upon him whom they pierced. These are things that were written hundreds of years previous. Did not break Jesus' legs because he was already dead. Amazing stuff going on here. The other one that's really interesting, God's got a timetable. He's had to get Jesus on the cross so that he was there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the rest of the Passover lambs were killed down in the temple area. Okay, I found that to be pretty remarkable. If he's king on Monday, how do you get that to work? But it got there. The other thing he's got now is he's got 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's got to get him in the ground in a tomb somewhere before the, Passover, before the, the, the Sabbath begins. In fact, Jesus even said that. Let's go to another uh, passage. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Something that Jesus said. And he said a number of things about his own death before it happened. Jesus says, well, let's start in verse 38, because it's amazing. You know, they kept looking for signs. Remember the chief priests and the scribes? They wanted a sign from Jesus. And it was like they, they, didn't, they didn't want one because they didn't really want to believe. Have you ever had that? Show me. And then, well, that's not enough. I want to see more. Okay, that's who they were. Chapter 12 Verse 38, then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from you. And he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's something that has to happen after he dies. That's got to happen. Now, we also know on, on Sunday he arose. So he's got to get in the grave really quickly. Now, one of the things, oh, let's, let's keep reading. There's a couple other places that he says this. I want you to pay particular attention. Let's go to, we're in Matthew, just keep going. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Again, Jesus predicting his death. 
Now watch carefully. Verse 21, chapter 16. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Okay? Let's go to chapter 17, verse 23. They shall kill him, and the third day shall he be raised again. And it goes on. I could go to multiple places. He predicted this. Now, one of the things that's a challenge, particularly 1240, how do we be in the grave for three days and three nights? Which, if that's a full three days, three nights, that's 72 hours. Okay? And yet, let's do this for a moment. You can pick any three days and three nights, and Jesus never raises on the third day. He would have to raise on the fourth day. Correct? Do the math. So if he if actually was in the grave on Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night, he would have to raise Monday morning. You pick your days. So we have to say that's not the solution. Let's say that you went to Billings. I went to Billings for three days. What does that mean? You were there for 72 hours or parts of three days? Probably parts of three days. The Jewish uh, people, how they would speak, was literally any part of a day was part of a day that became a whole day. A day and a night. As long as it's part of that day, it becomes a part of that day. But the one thing we, that you can't unfold is that three days and three nights, if it's a full 72 hours, Jesus could not be raised on the third day. It would have to be the fourth day. Therefore, it seems as such, it's pretty clear then, that as long as there's a part of a day, which God's got a problem, though. Do you see where I'm going? He's got three hours to get Jesus in the grave. So far, I haven't seen any grave. So far, I haven't seen anybody wanting the body of Jesus. Does this look complicated? Ooh, it looks really, looks, looks really complicated. Not for God, that's right. But for us, that's why sometimes for us, we get our eyes on our problems, we get our eyes on the horizontal view focus, and you know what? We miss who really is in charge. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter how difficult it is, no matter challenging the obstacles, whatever it might be, God will use obstacles to become opportunities to change a world of which you're journeying in. I happen to think of those Roman soldiers, that centurion which you saw an earthquake beyond earthquakes, actually saw a rock split saw Jesus Christ hanging there. It was dark from the middle of the day. I wonder when the last day he saw it was dark from noon to three. Never. And when Jesus died, when he passed, when he said it is finished, he said of this, truly he was the son of God. Wow. The thief that was hanging on the cross with him, one of them said, lost it, um, remember me today when you come into paradise. Now something has happened after three o'clock. Do you know who's in paradise? Jesus Christ. His spirit is gone. He said he would go to paradise. And as soon as that thief, the one that had his legs broken, there was two of them that had their legs broken, the one that pushed faith in Christ, guess where he's at? Right where Jesus said he would be, in paradise with him today. But that doesn't solve the problem. They've made the first step. The unbelieving Roman soldiers have made the first step. They've done what's necessary to hasten death. They've proved that Jesus is dead. That's important because you can't raise someone that's not dead. 
So he has to be dead to be raised again. The Romans have proven that. What are we going to do next? What happens next? Well, imagine this. There's someone of the Sanhedrin by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Arimathea would have been a town that no one's absolutely certain of where it's at. It's thought to be east of Jaffa, probably 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It doesn't really matter. But he would have been an, uh, uh, one of those on the Sanhedrin, one of those that apparently wasn't really quite out in the light of who he really followed. It says in numerous places. In fact, let's watch. Let's see this guy unfold, Joseph of Arimathea. Which book are you in right now? Are you in Matthew? Let's go there then. Let's just stay in verse 57 of Matthew chapter 27. It says, when the even was come. Now, why would it say that? Because if you think about your day, you're coming 6 o'clock is the beginning of a new day, 6 o'clock p.m. So from 3 to 6 o'clock on Friday, it would be early evening. That would be the end of that day. So that's where we're at. We're in that time frame. When the even was come, there came a rich man of, ooh, that kind of fits. That's starting to sound good, isn't it? We've got a rich man. And remember Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9? He would, right, exactly. He's a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple? Wow. Hold your spot. Let's turn back to, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse, verse 38. We'll give a little bit more about Joseph of Arimathea. John chapter 19, verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. That's interesting. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. Let's get one more look at it. Now Luke chapter 23, verse 50. It's amazing that Joseph of Arimathea is listed in every single one of the Gospels. Only here is he listed in this particular episode, in this context, but he's listed in every single one. Verse 50, and Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and just. The same had not, whoa, this is important, the same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. In other words, remember the Sanhedrin as they had railroaded Jesus through three different trials at night to send him to Pilate to have him ultimately killed? Joseph of Arimathea was not in favor of that. Probably the only one. But it does seem like he's a bit elusive, right? Who do you say Jesus is? Right? Not a lot. Excuse me? They'd probably kill him. Well, that's, he's made a decision right now, hasn't he? Yeah. Something's happened. What is it that tripped him over the edge? How did he become a secret disciple? Now, there's no question he's a believer. You can see that. I'm thinking of this. This is, again, we're talking of the providence of God, right? Think of this for a moment. Now, we know that his sepulcher, and this is his own. In fact, did we see, did I, I tell you what, I think it's in Matthew, but just a second, I'll, I'll take a look. Yeah, there it is. Let's go back to Matthew. Turn back to Matthew 27. I want you to see the personalization of this abode, this, this sepulcher. Okay, Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. When the even was come, between three and six, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple, secretly. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Now watch verse 60. And laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Now there's a couple things that you may not know about. 
Uh, most of the time, sepulchers were not new. There was numbers of shelves in them, and literally they would be used time and time again. There would be one body that would go in and they would wrap them in linen, and there was no embalming process within the Jewish customs or culture. They just used spice, and you see the myrrh and aloes. Did we read that in one of the passages? Uh, and it would essentially be aromatic with this linen, and at some point when it became just bones, they would actually box them up and move them into another area, and this would be a used sepulcher, if you will. This one here was brand new. It tells us a couple things. That would mean it would be fit for a king, and it would be a rich man's tomb. Ah, it sounds like we've got the right guy, right? Now, I'm thinking of this. How about on a Friday afternoon and our guy, Joseph of Arimathea, comes home and the kids are there, you know, being a little sassy with mom, but she's, and he says, honey, I'll tell you what, I just feel this urge. I've got to go work on that sepulcher. I've got to go finish hewing it out of the rock. I've, I've got it selected. I've got it. It's right there. But I need, to, I need to get to working on that. And I imagine Mrs. Joseph rolls her eyes and says, Really? Now? That's the providence of God. Why was it ready then? Obviously, no one else had been there. It wasn't like there was a necessity. Yes, there was. Jesus' body needed to be there. Isn't that amazing? I find that amazing. What made Joseph flip over the edge and all of a sudden be on fire for Jesus? I mean, like, step out. In fact, if you do the, if you do the context, literally, these, these chief priests had been into the praetorium and said, Pilate, we've got to take care of business. We've got to get those three guys off of those crosses because the Passover is coming and we don't want them up there. They had just left when here comes Joseph of Arimathea and says, I want Jesus' body. Because Pilate still didn't know if Jesus was dead. Isn't that interesting? So we got Jesus, we got Jesus that's dead. The, 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 the chief priests want to make sure that they are dead. Here comes Joseph of Arimathea, not even knowing the outcome of this, and says, I would like Jesus' body. Oh, my goodness. This is at warp speed. God's in charge. God's in charge. And then he gets the centurion to come back and say, yes, in fact, Jesus is dead. And it says in, though we've read all of those passages, that literally Joseph of Arimathea was begging or pleading, courageously going to get the body of Jesus. And it was given to him. Now, these are, these are parts that you don't really think about. But as it's unfolded, it's described very clearly that he would have taken Jesus' body off the cross, which means that the cross would have had to come on the ground. He would have taken the body off the nails and then taken it to the sepulcher, which is described as being very, very close. This is one guy that's doing this. And you say, wait a minute, there's somebody. Yes, there is somebody else. But so far... The one that's taken the initiative, the one that's been involved, is the one that literally has provided the sepulcher of a rich man, which we need. We need that. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. God, isn't this cool? What are the chances of that in the morning? If you were going to just take a step back and say, whoa, we got to get that done? we got to get that done? See, for God, it's no big deal. Your life may be very, very complicated. I heard something this week. It's not original, but I've actually used it. We, you know, it's amazing how you have conversations with different people. And it was, I needed this before the next day because it, was, it fits so perfectly. You know what? We in America today, if we're willing to face our problems, God is able to fix them. But we're going to have to face them first. 
our leadership at the highest levels or the lowest level, it doesn't matter. We have to be willing to face our problems. That's within families, that's within politics, that's within anything. Until we're ready to face God and face our problems, we couldn't ask him to fix them. Here's Joseph of Arimathea. What was it this day that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon he finally said, that's it, that's it, that's it. I've got to step out. I've got to show myself as being one of Jesus' disciples. It's not that he ascended to, think, think of this very carefully now. It's not that Jesus was on the throne and was looking for a cabinet members. That's easier, isn't it? No, he's dead. He's dead. What would cause him to do this? Well, certainly God urging him, pushing at his heartstrings. But I'm wondering if Joseph of Arimathea, because it's obvious, we'll get into this in a moment, that the Sanhedrin actually knew just as well as anyone that Jesus has declared that he, would be, that he would rise in three days. Did Joseph believe that? Did he need to provide a place for that? I'm actually convinced that he saw a lot more than, we're, than we think we know. Yes? There would have been, uh, well, if it's the first one or whatever, hard to say. Hard to say. But certainly this man was moved by the Spirit. Because this is the first time in his career that he stepped out and said, I'm going to go ahead and whatever it takes, I'm on Jesus' side. Whatever that means. And my challenge to us today, in a world that's upside down, we don't know right from wrong. Is it time for us to step out, take a stand? Or do we need to be like Joseph of Arimathea? I'm going to say yes. On your journey, on your life's journey, are you ready to step out? Be the Joseph? God needs Josephs and Josephines. I had to fit some of that, so I'll figure it out, right? Did that take guts? You better believe it did. I'm almost sure they passed. Where's he going? You know what? He didn't vote today, now that I think about it. He didn't take a position on Jesus. I wonder what's going on. Well, from that moment on, they knew exactly where he stood. They knew where he stood. There's another man, though, that had met Jesus secretly by night. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, right? And I'm convinced it was by night for a reason. It's not in the Scripture just to tell us it happened to be, you know, the only time I can fit you in Jesus is about 9 o'clock tonight. No, he was there because he didn't want to be there in the daytime. He was embarrassed to be there. But let's go to John and let's find our second guy that shows up. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Let's take a look. Now, Joseph of Arimathea stepped out. Let's just find him in verse 38 again. John chapter 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of him, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And you see it's he. He was involved early on. Verse 39. There came also Nicodemus which at the first came to Jesus by night, makes mention of that again, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about a hundred pound weight. Now that's a, that's a, a phrase, if you will. There's probably about 75 pounds. And then verse 40, took they the body of Jesus and wound it in a linen clothes with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now if you have 75 pounds of spices, that's enough to do a king. That's what it's really thought of. Isn't that amazing? Oh, this is coming together now. We still got to hurry, though. We got to get him in the tomb before the Sabbath begins. So now we have two men working on it. Nicodemus, again, that man you found in 
John chapter 3. Somewhere between John chapter 3 and John chapter 19, he got saved. He trusted Christ. Remember when Jesus said, you have to be born again, John chapter 3? He said, what? I don't even get, what are you talking about? How can I enter back into my mother's womb? What are you talking about? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but everlasting life. He had got that. Here he is. These two guys, these, these two and rich guys, religious leaders, are surrounding this body of Jesus, no doubt cleaned off all of the blood, the sweat, took it off. Remember that, that crown of thorns? Oh, taking that off. And we're wrapping his body in linen. That's important. As they're wrapping that body, the limbs separately, putting on 75 pounds of spices, doing it, and I'm going to say rather hurriedly, think of the, think of the task at hand. And then, so that there wouldn't be grave robbers, which was very common. Now, this would have been a grave, there wouldn't have been much to rob. Jesus didn't even have the clothes they went to the cross with. They, the soldiers got those. And this is our Savior? But they rolled a rock across the front of the sepulcher. Just in time. Because the Passover Sabbath was about to begin. Just at the right time. Now there's some other things going on because we've got other things to get in, in, in store for. Remember the, yes? Could they, I mean, did they make themselves unclean by touching the dead body? Yes, yes they did. That's a, that's a very, that's a very, now that's very important. Isn't it interesting that the ceremonial laws were not near as important as following God? That's really important to us today too, right? Really important. See, legalism is not nearly as important as it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's number one. And they were willing to be defiled to do what God had on their plate. Literally. Literally. There were some women. Remember the women that were at the cross? They're actually falling with a distance off. And I think we saw them in Mark, but I'll see if we have. You're in Matthew. Yeah, there we go. We can find it. You're in Matthew chapter 27. Let's take a look. Verse 61. There was Mary Magdalene, remember her? She was at the cross. And the other Mary, that would have been the mother of Joseph, uh, James the Less, uh, that, uh, what they called James the Less, the disciple, sitting over against the sepulcher. Okay? They were watching from a distance. Now, they had no idea who Joseph of Arimathea is. And probably didn't know Nicodemus. These guys had been in the shadows as far as followers. They were secret disciples. They're, these women are, what are they going to do with his body? Where are they going to go with it? See, they, they would expect the worst. So they follow. And it's not too far. Keep in mind, it's very close. And they see, oh, that's where it's a good deal. Okay, we've got to, the Passover's about to hit. We've got to go home. We've got to get away from what's going to happen on the Sabbath. But then they went home, and you find in other scriptures that they went and purchased early, early, Sunday morning, spices, and they created their own ointments, and they were going to go back to the tomb and do their love offering, if you will, to Jesus. They saw it. They knew where it was at. Now, that's important because they're the first ones to literally be where the earthquake takes place and Jesus is resurrected from the dead. How would it be like to have been then, there? Oh, man, right? Now, there's one more really important facet. It's amazing how God's providence, the orchestration of, not a miracle, taking ordinary everyday occurrences of people thinking, making choices of their will, and God just puts it all together and his will is accomplished. There's some really creepy people that are worried about one thing, and that is their concern that that deceiver, Jesus, is going to 
his disciples. You can't trust those disciples. He's dead. Yeah, he's, he's dead. But they probably are going to steal his body and then say that he rose from the dead. We've got to watch out for that. We gotta wa- and you know what the disciples are doing? They're running for their lives. They have no interest at all. They, they're not even, that's a conspiracy theory that has even no roots, right? But it was perfect because God used their minds to construct something that was of utmost importance. In other words, what if this tomb was left completely open? Now, we know it's not because they rolled a stone in front of it. But what if they hadn't had a guard there, and then we'll find that to even be a waxed seal, it actually even proves the fact that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead, and actually there were guards there to see it. Isn't that fantastic? He's even using those that are trying to hate Jesus, ultimately, and he's using them to prove the fact that he was risen from the dead. That's got to work. That's providence on high. And I, I don't know that the burial of Jesus Christ, what we're just going through right now, is not the most obvious position of providence of anyone I can name to you. And there's a lot of them. Think of Joseph, the favored son. His brothers hate him. They get this great idea. Let's sell him. Brothers or sisters? Have you ever that one of the sell a brother and sister? Get some money? <laughs> I think my sister wanted to sell me. <laughs> but she was really kind. She wouldn't have sold me to a slave trader, right? But they did. He went into Egypt. How much, what's he done wrong so far? Nothing, right? Nothing at all. Can't find it. He works for Potiphar. Potiphar is kind of, a, you know, kind of higher up in the, in the political circles. And Potiphar's wife is kind of interested, no, really interested in Joseph. She sees him as, whew, that's somebody I'm really interested in. Joseph's done nothing wrong. She makes advances. He tears off, leaves a coat. She accuses him. He's thrown into prison. What's he done wrong? Nothing. How, how's your prayer time with God right now if you're Joseph? What are you, what are you doing? What, where does this fit? What, what's going on, right? See, right now, you're alive something. There's some stuff going on that you don't really have figured out. But the point of the matter is, is God knows. God knows exactly where you're at. Remember that verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28? For all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. See, he sees it from the 30,000-foot elevation. We can only see it from here. Now, I didn't say everything's easy or fun. No, it says for the trials... They work patience, right? And we get more mature. And who, which one of you prayed for trials this morning? <laughs> right? No, they just come. They're for our good. And anyway, let's keep moving. So he's in prison. And he meets some guys that were thrown there. And one was a butler and one was a baker. And they had a dream. And Joseph told the dream of the one being restored. And he said, by the way, don't forget about me. What did he do? He forgot about it. But it wasn't at the right time. Isn't it amazing timing, timing, timing? God's providence is timing. And all of a sudden, that one day, Pharaoh had a dream. And this guy that had been restored, that Joseph told the dream to, oh my goodness, I forgot. Pharaoh, I know the guy that can tell you that dream, and he's in, the pri- in prison. Well, go get him. So they, you know, probably does a shave and cleans up because you're going to go see Pharaoh. Tells him exactly what's going to happen. No one else has been able to do that. How's that for timing? And you know what happens? Literally within minutes, Joseph has moved from prison 
to Pharaoh number two. Why? Because there was a great famine in the land, and literally his brothers, that, that must have been something, right? Let's go to a passage. Let's go to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. See, Providence says God is involved in that every single... He's, he's, he's working in Providence today, right here in this place. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45. We're going to look at two of them. Genesis 45. And we'll start in verse 1. Now, the brothers have come. Uh, there have been some years that went and gone to There's nothing to eat in Israel. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. They, he's finally going to introduce himself to them. He cried, cause every man to go out from me. There stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brothers could not answer. I'll bet they couldn't, for they were troubled at his presence. Imagine that. Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now watch verse 5. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Isn't that good? Turn over to Genesis chapter 50. This is after, after their dad had died, after Jacob. Now they thought, uh-oh, fur's going to hit the fan now. He's going to drop the hammer. We're dead meat. Let's see if I can find the verse. Let's see. Let's go to let's go to verse seventeen. So they shall verse sixteen. I'm sorry, fifty Genesis fifty verse sixteen. Jacob has passed away. Their father. They sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did, not, uh, for they did unto you evil. Now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God at, of, of thy father. And Joseph wept when he spoke unto them, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be your servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. That was providence in Genesis chapter 50. That whole lot. Is that unamazing? And again, you, you try, you take it, you know, this afternoon when you get home, just do a quick summary of your life. How did you get where you're at? God's involved. It's amazing. Isn't it? You, some of you are nodding your head. Yeah, there's some weird stuff that's happened in my life. And somehow, this, this journey is, God was in it. Jesus Christ's burial. God was fully engaged in burying his son. At just the right time, he was in the grave. That Friday night counted as day one. Saturday, all day Saturday, Saturday night was day two. And then early Sunday morning, he was risen from the dead, met the Scripture's requirements. He was in a rich man's tomb, met the Scripture's requirements. Not a bone was broken, met the Scripture's requirements. Amazing. And did it all orchestrating through other... And these aren't Jesus lovers, right? They hate him. And yet somehow it just got... Remember when Satan entered into Judas Iscariot? Judas is... I'm sorry, Satan is not anything about Jesus. He doesn't want anything to do with him. But the one thing he didn't want him to do was hang on a cross because he knew the Old Testament better than anyone. Satan can read the Bible as well as anyone. 
But he wanted to thwart Jesus getting there so that literally sin's power could be broken. The keys of death, it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus Christ has those. Those are his. You read the book of, Re you read the book of Revelation today, it's never made more sense. None of that is going to go unfinished. That is history foretold in advance. Just as Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those prophecies surrounding his life, the book of Revelation is going to happen just as it's unfolded. One day we that have trusted Christ as Savior will be with Jesus Christ and God the Father forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. All of these struggles were... So, I shouldn't even be suffering, but we're, you know it's amazing, the maturity that comes through troubles, right? I'm going to sign up for trouble. I hope not. Oh, yeah, I want more trouble. I hope I get more. But it's what makes you better. It would, it's what really brings it to you. I remember, I have maybe shared this with you before, but in, 19, in the early 1980s, my father lost everything. Interest rates went to like 21%. It was fast. There was nothing you could do. And I had a pastor friend there that we were very, very close. And he said, he was actually close friends. Do you, if I say Warren Wiersbe, is that someone that rings a bell? One of my favorite, actually, Bible teachers. He's someone that I really go to. Well, uh, Maynard Mathewson, who was our pastor, was actually, he and Warren were very, very close, tight-knit friends. So it was almost like being, you know, like having a connection with Warren, right? Okay. Well, anyway, Maynard said this. I was sitting at his desk. We just lived a half a mile away. And he said something that really made an impact on me. He said, Larry, he says, tough times, they'll either make you bitter or they'll make you better, and it's your choice. That is so true. That is so true. And I think of all of the struggles that Jesus Christ did for me. We talked about it last week. He literally lived hell on cross for me. Those three hours of hell that was poured out, all of that cup of wrath was my hell. He paid it. I owed it. That's love. That is love. And next week, I can't really wait. because This is such a big deal, how God set this up perfectly, the providence of him burying his son. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to come back and we're going to take a look at the most blessed event that's ever happened, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for taking all of the extra care to make sure every I was dotted, every T was crossed in your providential will. Father, you could have just miraculously just accomplished it, just boom, and it was done. But I'm thinking of all of those involved. I'm thinking of that Joseph of Arimathea, the Nicodemus that stepped out of the shadows. Father, maybe there's someone here today or hearing my voice on the podcast that literally it's time to step out of the shadows. It's time to stand up for Jesus Christ. It's time to be front and center, regardless of consequences, because God is fully and completely in control. That's what's really cool, Father, is you've unfolded the Word of God to us. You've been so clear, so concise, to see you working behind the scenes so fluidly. Father, we thank you for those dear women that were gathered as well, their love. They had traveled from Galilee with Jesus. They had met him with service. They had, to whatever occasion he needed them, he, they were there. Father, I thank you for using those that hated you. Literally, as much as they despised your son, you still used everything they did to your glory. As they wanted you 
your son, Father, to be crucified. You used those attitudes, those willful curses, to bring about the most awesome thing that's ever happened on this universe, the love of Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree to save mankind from their sin that would place their trust and faith in Him. It's in awe that we see that agape love. We can only bow in humility. We can only bow in thankfulness. Father, take us this week. You know our journey before we do. Father, there are those of us that will have struggles. There will be challenges. There will be things that we won't have known about. But you know exactly what we need. Put your arms around us that we would feel your love. Give us what we need. To you be glory for the grace you've given. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen.